On today's episode of Let's Grow Together, I sit down with CEO of the SMB team, Bill Hauser, and we take an in-depth conversation into leading teams, morning routines, and content creations. Folks, I know this is a long one, but you got to stick this one out. It is powerful. There is so much good stuff in here. He has so much experience in the way that he was able to build his company and how quickly he has grown his digital marketing agency. This is a powerful individual that I know you will learn a lot from, from listening to our conversation. So without further ado, let's dive in. But first, the intro. Welcome to Let's Grow Together. My name is Nick Bonatotibus, motivational speaker and digital marketing strategist. And this podcast is all about helping you grow both in life and business. Let's dive in. All right, Phil, I am so, so glad that you are here. I've been waiting to get you on this podcast because I see all the things that you're doing um, with your business, specifically with what you do online with your Instagram, because I know that you are as much with me with the personal development and morning routines. I mean, I see your morning routines on your Instagram stories, and it's so awesome. So I've been really looking forward to diving into that. But before we do that, real quick, just tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, and who you serve. Sure thing. Yeah. So my name is Bill Hauser. I'm the founder and CEO of the SMB team, small, medium business team. And we are a fast growing digital marketing company that serves businesses that are looking for high quality Google ads, pay-per-click services, landing page design, SEO, and website design. So that's where we primarily focus. We just formed actually as of, uh, I think the deal was inked yesterday. I, I can't even remember what day it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, on on a Facebook ads partnership that's working out really well for people. So we can now actually offer Facebook ads lead generation services. But right, to summarize what we do, the, the number one thing we do is generate leads. That is the intention of everything we do. Um, our purpose as a company was to grow businesses, but now... Uh, because of my personal brand and the YouTube channel kind of picking up steam, we have about a hundred and, uh, geez, I know last week we had 111 videos. I think this week now we're up to 130 based on the last two weeks of content we released. Um, so we're up to almost 130 YouTube videos now. And, uh, the funny thing is I ran out of content, um, for like different general bucket terms for marketing. So I had, I just naturally had to start going into personal development. Um, so now we're kind of changing our ethos as a company as growing companies and individuals. Awesome. I love that. And I know that that's new and really awesome too, to hear about the YouTube channel growing. Cause I know when we talked last, you were still kind of just diving into it when you and I sat down um, to hear that you oh, have yeah. that many videos already is impressive and awesome. Just pumping, pumping it out. Um, and Absolutely. I do want to get more into um, your channel and how that's been working so far. But 
you mentioned before we jumped on this call, before we started uh, recording, that you wanted to break down uh, what my podcast means. And now, you know, I'm curious now that you mentioned yeah, it. So yeah. I want to hear what you have to say. Um, so, so the interesting thing is the name, the name of the podcast is let's grow together. So the, the name of the podcast is let's grow together. Um, so I thought, I thought to myself and it sounds so you know stupid, but you know, one thing I always do is I, is I try and drill into words. I, I noticed that when I, when I glance over words, I don't retain them as well. So what I did was I thought like, okay let's grow together. I just thought of like each of those words as soon as um, I saw that uh, the podcast was named that. So uh, I thought let's, which ties it, it immediately. I thought the word let's ties into the word together because they're, they're, it's a combined, right? Let's and together that ties in and grow is separate, right? And uh, this is an awesome, awesome example and story. I'm going to start kick this off with. Yes. Um, so let's grow together. Well, let, let's first talk about what together means. Um, we just had a team meeting minutes ago in, in my office and we talked about, I just read the book, uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Very good book um, on Navy SEAL leadership. And, um, you know, how do you manage 200 soldiers in Iraq right? During the battle of Ramadi, when you have 200 army forces, 200 uh, Navy SEALs, and you're trying to both achieve the same mission, but you have different chains of command. Um, and this is such, I, I'm literally getting goosebumps right now thinking of this, such a powerful example of what together means in business and in expansion. So in the battle of Ramadi, there was the army fleet and the seals and each of them had different commanders. The commander of the seal fleet was Jocko Willink. The commander of the, commander of the uh, army fleet, I believe was uh, Leif Babin, I think his name is, uh, who's the co-author on the book, Extreme Ownership. Um, and when they were uh, in the battle of Ramadi, the army had the majority of the snipers. I may be getting this somewhat wrong, but the, the army had the majority of the snipers and strategic weaponry individuals. And the Navy or the SEALs had the majority of the ground force. And they each had the same goal, take out the terrorists, you know, take out the, um, you know, protect the people of, the, of Ramadi, but they were operating on silos, right? So, what I said, um, which is, this is so fresh, it's, it, yeah, I can't make this up. Um, what, what, what I said in the meeting was the number one rule of combat in battle, which can be applied to business, is the rule that's called cover and move. Cover and move. It's the number one rule of combat. And what that means, I'll explain shortly, but so you have the army with the snipers, you have the SEALs with the ground people, both going after the same mission. They have a different chain of command, they have different to-dos, day-to-day to-dos, but they're on the same team. They had different commanders though, so they operated on different projects. So the snipers would have their own mission and the ground people would have their own mission. But what happened after one battle where there was quite a few casualties is the ground fleet was doing their own thing, and they encountered gun, a gunfight, 
that could have easily been scoped out by the snipers, right? So instead of the two leaders of these two packs having ego in the mix, they decided, you know what? We have 200 soldiers under each of us. Man, we need to still collaborate. Like they, they were thinking, oh, I have 200. I got too much to deal with the beginning. I don't need to deal with the army. And the other guy was like, I don't need to deal with the SEALs. And then they thought, what if we, instead of covering, which, which is another word for sniper, and then moving separately, why don't we cover and move? Why don't you guys stay in the buildings, be our outlook, take out any of the enemies as we're going across the ground, as we're going to the target place where the terrorists are? Why don't you protect us as we move? So that's the example of cover and move. Because a lot of people in life, especially in business, is they, they build up tension towards certain people on the team and they start thinking that the enemy is in here, in the company. But what they don't realize is the enemy is not in here. We're all on the same mission. The enemy's out there, right? So cover and move is the number one rule of combat for a reason because that's what I identify as together. So I just wanted to break down that, that one word with this huge, uh, you know, um, you know, story, I guess. Yeah, no, and that's awesome. And it, it is, it's all about working together both within your team and a big part of what I try and teach um, is working together, not just with people that are in your team, but also other businesses that could be out there. Because to Absolutely. me, there's no, there's, you know, we can all win. That's, that's the goal. And we can all grow together by continuing to work together. You know, I love talking with other entrepreneurs and seeing how we can work together, how I can help them, how I can, you know, promote them, anything like that. Now, I'm curious because, you know, you talked a lot about the the leadership aspect of, of both of these things. Now, how does this story that you shared correlate to what you're sharing with your team? Were you, you know, two separate divisions that were um, going in two different directions that you wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page? Were you seeing those issues or was the book you just wanted to make sure that those issues didn't arise? Yep. So great point. Um, all the above, right? So uh, we're, we're human, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest divisions in business departmentally is the division between sales and operations. Mm -hmm. Because there's this notion that the more you sell, the more work there is to do. And if, if the team isn't on the same page with growth goals, this is where grow comes in. Let's grow together. We went over the together part, but the other part is grow. Everybody needs to be on the same page about why growth is your duty and obligation versus something that just causes more operational headaches and work. Growth provides job security. Growth provides protection in recessions. Growth provides the ability to shuffle people around to where they were born and destined to be in the company versus just having four or three or two employees, well, screw it. We each have to wear half the hats because there's no other, there's no other jobs, right? If the team doesn't get that, then they're going to create their own reasons as to why growth is such a priority. 
for example, the owner wants to get more rich or the owner is going to buy a new sofa with this extra prop or whatever, whatever thoughts go through their head. But really growth can be, um, if explained properly and if authentic, right? Because your team's going to see right through a, a surface level leader who who's saying that they're growing to make a better company, but really they're just pocketing everything. Um, that's what that that's why it's important. But we we talked about three topics. We talked about the cover and move topic. We talked about um, a, a video from a company that's called Crisp Video Group online about their uh, about their uh, culture. And then we tied that into our our Colby profiles, which are our personality profiles, which shows each of our strengths. So what, one of my top profiles, I'm sorry, uh, segments of the profile is I'm a really high quick start, which only like 5% of people are. But where, where, I, where I thrive as a quick start, which means risk-taking, making decisions without clarity, creative problem solving on the spot, improvisation, all that, that I actually have equal deficiencies in my ability to follow through, implement, and find the facts in situations because I'm always on to the next thing, which is great. and makes me great at, in a visionary type role, but makes me terrible in an operations role, right? Because I'm, I'm, I would be thinking of new ideas constantly and then I'd have to go back to the task at hand and not get anything, um, not get any of the ideas followed through with. So the purpose of bringing this up was A, to, uh, to solve some tension that builds up every month, no matter what. As soon as you think you have culture figured out, it's fading away because it needs to be replenished every day, like drinking a cup of water. What is our culture again? Wait, what's our culture again? Wait, a customer just cursed me out. What's our culture again? It, it literally needs to be so reiterated to everyone to the point where you feel like stupid that you're repeating it so much. Um, and, and the, the personality profiles allow us to own our strengths and weaknesses. And that's the key. And, and, and you should have seen the reactions on, on everyone. When I said, Hey, Anthony and Shakur, Look, look at their profiles. They're the highest on the implementer scale, or I forget what scale. I think it was implementer scale. What does that mean? Okay, well, let's look at the traits. They're concerned about quality of product. They're concerned about creative, critical thinking solutions to problems, right? So guys, if, if any of you guys want to improve our product and make mass changes, Give the ideas to Anthony and Shakur, and they'll actually get that done because they're high implementers, right? You you want me to get that done? Like you're you're banking on a homeless guy, you know, uh, getting a shower. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so just owning your weaknesses, and 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 another cool thing is when you take tests like this, and you're insatiably curious about uh, quantifying human behavior. What happens is when you quantify human behavior, it depersonalizes things, right? So then it's like, oh, this is just my, my score on this versus the alternative is people build up animosity and go, you know, 
why can't why can't Bill ever get something done? He had he he gave me seven ideas and whereas now you can depersonalize your your differences with people and go, oh, that's because this is his innate tendency, right? So so that's why that's why I thought it was important to and and I prepared a lot for this meeting today that we had um, because man. If, if I could just make everyone on my team accept who they are and accept who their teammates are, we won't go home at night wondering why Dennis did something this way and Drew can never do something that way. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's so awesome and such an important concept of really not only understanding who you are, but also the people that you're working with. And most of the time, I feel like we we focus on other people, whereas understanding yourself is equally, if not more important, of understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are. Now, my question to you would be, now you did this this month. Now, how often would you say that you personally will look at yourself and give yourself almost an evaluation of this type of uh, extent, or is this something new that you just learned that you're like, Oh, we need to do this more and more. Um, it's a good question. Uh, um, I, I think for me personally, I'm, I'm a very curious person when it comes to uh, introspection. Uh, although I'm an extroverted person, I'm always trying to figure out who I am because um, I still don't really know because, uh, you know, I'm just all over the place sometimes. And, and I'm just like, okay, I didn't know I could do that. Um, but, uh, and also the opposite is I didn't know I was that bad at that. Um, I, I probably do it every month um, in some way. I wish I could say it was this perfectly in, you know, planned in advance habit of mine. Um, it's just not, it just stems from confusion and the, the, the honest emotions of learning as you go as an entrepreneur and having slight identity crises every couple of uh, weeks, maybe, um, to where you go, wait, why am I feeling this way? You know? And um, and it's not, it's not, you know, I know that the thing I hate about Instagram is, and even with me, like, I feel this need to always show the highlights and, uh, and not the lowlights. Um, you know, I, de- I definitely think I'm a little more vulnerable, like through, through some of my posts than, than I used to be, but I'm still not there yet. Um, I, I, there, there are moments every month where I am wildly confused as to like, uh, I, I spent probably a good 40 minutes today wondering what I should do. Like not wondering, but <laughs> I'll show you my form of wondering, uh, you know, for, for those of you who watched the video, um, my, my form of wondering is doing wild weekly and daily planners, right? Um, doing, uh, you know, brainstorming for, uh, you know, all of these crazy initiatives of what we're going to do. It's all just one day, um, this, and then I have, uh, I have a whiteboard right here. So that's how I make sense of the world is I take, I take 
complexity and I try and figure it out. And that, <laughs> that results in personality tests. Yeah. I, I, I always just try and do a different personality test probably every 30 to 45 days. This is so awesome though. I, Cause I do want to come back to a part that you were saying, because I think it's really important that we do talk about this, you know, with the highlight reel being on social media and, you know, you are getting that highlight reel, you're getting the snippets of people, you know, putting on their best. And that's why I always do tend to like the longer form content because you tend to hear more of the other things that are going on. You know, you mentioned, you're like, I'm still trying to figure myself out. And that's such a, um, I love that you said that because I know I go through the same thing. So I 100% can relate to that. And I know that people that are listening can relate to that as well. You know, and I think part of it is that you're not going to like figure it out. I think, you know, I think it's just part of the process of the growth because if you figured it out, well, that means you're the same person and then you're not growing. So there's a level of never figuring yourself out because if you figured yourself out, then there's no room for growth. And brilliant point. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> so continuing and continuing to improve and understanding that it's okay to not have yourself figured out, you know? Yeah. But, you know, we, but being able to see that, having that self awareness of, hey, this is my, you know, I love that you were breaking down like this is my weaknesses and understanding what your weaknesses are, even maybe if you don't know. And why yeah. it's so important to be able to have an open communication with, um, you know, people on your team, people that you work with to be able to be open about you like, Hey, this is, you know, the problem that I'm having that I'm seeing with you. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I wish you had told me sooner. Cause I wouldn't have done this. I didn't realize I was doing that. And the more that yep. we can have this open communication, the better things are going to be. And I think the old school strategy was like, everyone kept things to themselves and they just like talk behind people's back. And I feel that more in, you know, today's culture with the way businesses are de being developed, you know, breaking down cubicles, having more open office spaces, it's coming with that more opening up, having a more casual environment of really understanding, you know, that openness to, to share and, and learn and grow. It's, yeah. It's, can I, can I yeah. build on that? Um, yeah. so there, there's a book that's called, and I don't have it in here, uh, called Radical Candor. Um, okay. It is a phenomenal book written by uh, someone who was managed by Sheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer of Facebook. Um, and one of the big realizations, one of the, um, one of the biggest realizations I've had in the last two weeks, this is why entrepreneurship is so freaking crazy dude is what <laughs> what i know as of two weeks just in the last two weeks is is like a complete identity shift and and that happens every two weeks and that's why you have to go through periods of confusion because you're right like it, it's the same thing as culture as soon as you think you have culture dialed in it's fading away as soon as you think you have yourself figured out if you're growing it's going to change. Um, my point is radical candor. 
So you're talking about the, the increased openness in workplaces. The most, the most poisonous thing in a, in a company or, or as and an entrepreneur can have in his environment is what's called ruinous empathy. This is what they talk about in the book. Ruinous empathy is the person in your life who doesn't have the guts to tell you that you suck at something. And, and the, the culture of being open is one thing. You can be open with others, but still not be radically candor or candid, right? So what, what does that look like? Well, you see that in what, what they call American Idol syndrome. You see these people every year go try out for American Idol and are absolutely terrible, so much to the point where they, they actually are promoted on public television for how funny they sound, right? And yet most nine times out of 10, these people don't know until that point in time when they're publicly humiliated that they're actually not that good. They actually are pretty bad. The, the, the example of ruinous empathy in that, in, in that instance is the mom, the uncle, the dad who said, oh, just chase your dreams. You know, you'll, you'll get good at singing. Oh, just, just stick with it. You'll get good at singing. I don't care how much I stick with becoming a seamstress or, or how much I stick with becoming a, uh, I, I don't know, a, a shoe salesman. I, I don't know. There's certain things in this world that if I even gave all, like a pro basketball player, as an example, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get there. Um, and I, I think ruinous empathy is actually paralyzes people more than even harsh, like impolite criticism. What they say in the book is the best leaders are on an axis of care and challenge, right? They care about you. You can tell the leader cares about you, but they care so much that they challenge you, right? The, the second best, it's, it's, like a, it's like a graph they give you in the book. The second best, most people think, is to care but not challenge, right? So you can either care and challenge, you can care and not challenge, or you can challenge and not really care. And you'd think that they'd say, okay, well, What's the second best option in leadership? You'd think they'd say that it's to care, but not challenge. But they make very clear in the book that the second best leadership style is to be hated by everyone, but challenging everyone. Because even if they hate your guts and you have terrible social skills and you, and you really don't care, but you just want to challenge people. You don't really care about the outcome. You just, you, you want to get the, be the best out of people for maybe your own reasons. That's better than being high care, never challenging anyone, never speaking up, never saying, hey man, it's been six months. You're, you're, not, you're not good at this. It just needs to be said. You, we need to pivot you to this role. Um, and that's why the having mental models is so important. Understanding that, you know, there, there's all these categories of, of people on your team. There's the right person in the right seat. There's the wrong person in the right seat. There's the 
right person in the wrong seat. And then there's the wrong person in the wrong seat. This is why I, I go through these two week uh, education uh, dumps or, or whatever is because I need models. I, I don't have a mentor. So I have to go to books to learn these models. So like right person, right seat. What's that? Well, that's a cult, right person means cultural fit. Right seat means they have the chops for the job. Wrong person, right seat is the cancer of your company. Why? Because they're, they're the most dangerous because they're the wrong cultural fit, meaning they criticize people, they're negative, they pull everyone down, constantly creating, you know, uh, chaos, right? But they're good. They're real good. So the leader has to make a tough decision. Usually what identifies people's culture in, in studies is when a leader has to fire the highest performer on their team because they're not a cultural fit, but they're a performer. That's the right per that's the wrong person, right seat. Then the other one is uh, right person, wrong seat, right? That's the right cultural fit. They just need to be shifted to an another seat in the company. And then wrong person, wrong seat, that's easy, right? Because that that's the easiest, like least, least infectious person because it's obvious they're not good and they're not really polite, right? So it's easy to say, Hey man, get out of here. Like, um, but you know, th there's, there's no fine lines between these categories. Um, that's why I, that's why I found a lot of value in trying to create mental models like Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand business partner in Berkshire Hathaway says is, um, if you want to become a professional decision maker, you need mental models from all the core disciplines. You need models from philosophy, from psychology, from leadership science, from, um, you know, peak performance athletes. And you have to tie that in and create your own decision-making framework so that boom, some point in the future, you, you catch, uh, 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 Oh, this guy's right person, wrong seat. That's a, that's a decision-making uh, high or uh, what do you call that? Heuristic, right? Mm -hmm. Allows you to go boom. Uh, uh, I've seen this before. Let's move it, right? Yeah, and I think that's so interesting. The way you know, because a lot of it depends on each particular person. So um, there's a book that that I have read. Um, it's called Thanks for the Feedback. And what I find so interesting about it is the way that it actually is about how you're asking somebody for feedback on what you are good at and what your weaknesses are. I would encourage anybody to do that is to generally ask somebody for them to get your feedback because I think that's so, so powerful to, to actually do that, to see what their answer is going to be, you know, based on so you can actually get some organic um, feedback so that you can learn and improve. But what you said, I think is very important as well, um, is that when somebody is in the right seat, most of the time, that also means that they like what they're doing. You know, when they are the right person and they're in the right seat, not only are they a high performer, but they enjoy what they're doing. And I believe that not only for our team, but as, as well as an entrepreneur, that we need to focus and stay within our zone of genius. You know, what is it that we are best at? What are we best suited to do? And go all in on that area. And sometimes we have to figure out within, you know, us and our team, 
on what we need to focus on, you know, and especially with what you I love what you talked about earlier to swing it back to what you were talking about earlier, where you're talking about how the growth of the company allows for the team to be able to be more focused on the things that they want to do. Because I've never heard that be presented like that. And I think that is so powerful to be able to resent, present that to your team, where it's like, hey, right now, it seems like everything's crazy because you're wearing six different hats. The more that we can do this, the less you can do more of that thing that you really like to do. And they're like, oh, I like that. I want to do yep. more of this. And that I is- said, I said yesterday uh, to one to to my director of SEO, Ronnie. I said, you know what, man? It was it was late night. We were in the office, and I, I was just reflecting, uh, and I was like, I should change. I should change my title from CEO to CCO, Chief Communication Officer, because you're you're hitting this on the head, man. Because it's like, like you can have. I'm an only child, so I my biggest downfall as an entrepreneur building a team in the beginning was not the courage part. It was the communication part. It was, uh, how don't they see, how don't they see the world this way? I do. How don't they get that bigger is better. You can't expect that. It's it, it, the, the, the highest value task. I, and another thing, a big risk of being a high performer when you're in a leadership position is when you're an individual performer, you form labels towards what's productive and what's not productive. Okay. So for example, if you're in sales, anytime you're not on the phone, anytime you're not doing email back and forth, anytime you're not doing prospecting, getting leads, whatever you over time, you start forming. I'm being unproductive. I need to get back on the phone. I need to, but then once you graduate to a position where that's not your core responsibility anymore, one of my biggest flaws as a leader was filling out my productivity planner, right? Doing my projects, who I need to reach out to today, what I'm working on, what are my must complete tasks today, filling this out, go through my cash balances, boom, start the day. My biggest risk, in, like that's a great habit, but <laughs> there's risks because when you have such a clear plan, you can actually lose track of what's productive, what's really productive. So for example, if I need to, if I think I need to pound out some task, okay. If I think I need to pound out some task and the opportunity comes for me to have a heart to heart conversation with an employee who just had a big breakthrough and wants to talk and comes into my office and says, Bill, can I share something with you? And I react and I go, cause that's my door right there. I react and I go, uh, I used, and this is, this is my habit. I'd always, I'd always delay to look back to to show them that they were distracting me. This is my habit. Not good, but high performance, right? Um, you know, delay to look back, looking at my computer. Um, and then, and then, and then go like, like 20 minutes, like not 20 minutes, like, like 10 seconds after they come in. Um, and what I learned is they did a big 60,000 hour study in Harvard. It's another thing I learned in the last two weeks. Um, 
Uh, and they found that 75% of leaders' time in Fortune 500 companies studied uh, CEOs is scheduled. 25% is unscheduled. I thought that was phenomenal. I th- that 25%, that's one quarter of their entire week unscheduled. And you know what the number one percentage of time spent is in terms of how they chunk it? The number one percentage of how CEOs spend their time in chunks within either that scheduled or unscheduled time. People and relationships. That's the number one chunk, 25% of their entire week, a quarter or a quarter of their week is spent on that. And what I've learned is, is the risk of high performance thinking you got to pound stuff out all day is you can actually neglect the people who are already on your side, right? You can actually make them feel as though you're not vested in their success. You're vested in your to-do list. Mm-hmm. Now it, I'm not saying you need to be a wishy-washy. Oh, whenever something pops up, my team knows eight times out of 10, if you try and interrupt me, I'm going to say, Hey man, I'm in the middle of something, but we can talk about it at X or Y or Z time. But two out of 10 times or 2.5 based on the study, I should increase it to, um, we should talk now. We should go for a walk out side. We should go get lunch. Let's go randomly get dinner. Like, let's go talk. Let's invest in the people who are vested in our success as a team. Um, so I forget where I was going with that, but, but the risk, the, how you label productivity changes constantly as, yeah. as your roles change. And I think it's interesting too, because my first thought was, oh, well, you know, Bill, why don't you just, you know, have a set time for people to approach you? However, the other side of it is if they're coming to your office that time, especially if it's something like you said, where it's a breakthrough and they are excited and enthusiastic about that time, if you delay it, then they're not going to be as enthusiastic as they are at that time, you know, like and break down. Yeah. Not just breakthroughs. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And getting them when they are at their most point of needing to talk to you and understanding that if they're coming to you at that time, that it's probably something that's really important, you know, and, and that's, you know, again, I love that you're, you're becoming more and more aware of all of these things. I love that you talked about high performance. That's something that we've talked about that. And I'd like to shift that a little bit into, you know, I know that you have a lot of things that you do that are designed to help you perform at the highest level. And I'd love to start to hear about what you do early in the mornings. Like first thing when you wake up, like what are your routines in the morning to get to that high level, to get to that high performance? And uh, thank you for asking that. Uh, This is like, um, so, so I, I made an announcement a couple of days ago that I'm going to probably be re-releasing worry 180, which is a book I wrote on how to overcome anxiety through adopting high performance habits. Um, and one of the, the first chapter in the, in the action modules of the book in the training program is your morning success ritual. So I, it, the, I've realized through humility and reflection that for me to expect someone to uh, adopt 
my one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 12 or 13 step morning routine religiously every morning, probably irrational. So what I've started doing is I've started labeling them in chunks so that, so that people can actually just shuffle the chunks around based on their life. But here's what I do now. Uh, I'm going to try and do it based on memory. Um, okay. So I, uh, my alarm goes off at 4.44 AM. Now I make edits every week. I'll go through how the edits happen. Um, so I smile first thing, right? That it's just a habit of mine. I wake up. Most people get groggy. Would I, would I try and do is be grateful. That's like my first thing. And I've learned that smiling with the intention of man, another day. I'm just so blessed. All right. Next. Now this is funny. I'm kind of OCD. Um, so I slide my, like the next step is I've learned if you're going to sleep in, the one thing that stops me from doing that is I just got to slide my left leg off the side of the bed and get it to touch the ground. If can I just touch the ground? <laughs> right. So very micro, micro step there. Um, right after that, uh, I, you know, uh, some mornings I'll weigh myself. I'm trying to do it less. I'm trying to do it like once or twice a week now. Um, then I floss and brush my teeth. <laughs> then I, uh, I put on my workout clothes, which are right by my bed, running shoes, pants, uh, sleeveless shirt, typically, and then a sweatshirt. Uh, I, that you put I out, just, sorry, I, that you put out the night before, right? You put it out the night yep. before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so it kind of ties in the night routine there. Now this is a new addition. Now three months I had to edit the routine. I have to take the dog out to go pee <laughs> and, and I have to, I have to feed the dog now at 5.00 AM ish. Um, so that's, that's in my morning routine. Now that's a step. Next is water and aminos. So I drink a big, big thing of water to the point where my stomach feels like, whoa, what the heck just happened? So like, you know, maybe 36 to 48 ounces of water. Um, so then uh, as I'm drinking the water, I set up a, uh, a go light. It's, it's a blue light therapy device uh, that I use every morning. Um, and it does two things. It keeps your circadian rhythm steady, uh, which means that your sleep and wake cycles stay steady when you use blue light therapy. Um, now some people use it for seasonal affective depression, right? People who get, have a, some chemical function in their, in their brain where when it's dark out more than it's light out, um, during that season, they, they get a little depressed, right? That's what that device was made for. But then some high performer used it. I think Tim Ferriss is really who blew it up with the four hour work week. Um, I learned about it in, in, in the four hour body, I believe. Kind of blew it up by making it public. Um, and what I do when that blue light shining, it sets my circadian rhythm um, because it replicates bright blue sunlight in your eyes. And then it also gives you like a jolt of energy, similar to like a half to full cup of coffee. 
uh, is what they've shown in studies, but it's like natural body energy, not head energy. So as that blue light's shining at, you know, the angle they have on the device, I put a blank notebook in front of me, right? This, this notebook, I go through notebooks every couple of weeks, but, um, put a notebook in front of me and I write what five things I'm grateful for. And, uh, yeah, I think right now it's about 14 goals, which I just started. And now before I used to write like all 50, some of my goals, but I realized that my goals weren't all goals. Like 80% of them were affirmations, not goals. Mm. They, they weren't measurable. Um, they were just feel good phrases of where I want to go. And so what I did was I, I just one weekend, I was like, you know what? These half three, three quarters of these aren't goals. These are affirmations. I'm going to read these out loud with belief separately. And then that cut down my time of writing goals by like a lot. Cause when you write 50 goals, it, it can take like 30 minutes sometimes when you're really feeling them. So gratitudes, five gratitudes. Now it's about 14 goals. Uh, the, the key with gratitudes I found is not to make it mindless. Mm -hmm. So what I found works best. And this is another thing that I've just done for the last two weeks is write, write a, a handful of things that you're, that you weren't grateful for from the last couple of days. Um, so for example, if you had a disagreement with someone, try and find how it made you stronger and say, I'm grateful for the fact that I disagreed with so-and-so because it taught me something about my belief system that I didn't know before. Um, I'm grateful that we um, lost this client at our company because it taught me A, B, and C things that we should have rolled out when they became a client of ours. Um, and then the others can be things that you're honestly just, just purely grateful for, which can be like any act of good service um, from someone. Now, don't get hung up on that because you'll notice once you start writing these, you don't, there's not many acts of good service that people do nowadays. Everything's so transactional. So when like somebody at the cafeteria at our office, like, um, you know, they have a cold iced coffee machine, like say, Oh, you want me to pour this for you? Like does little things like that. It's funny when you write down your gratitudes every morning, you are attuned to little things like that where, where the universe hands you back something. Um, but it's not common. So some, sometimes I'll have to, if there, if nothing, if, there, if I run out of things, I'll have to find something that's like, like, man, I'm just, I'm just grateful for this breath. Right. And, and I, I've, I've noticed one of my tendencies was to go and to try and set such a big gratitude every, every morning. But then I stopped becoming grateful because then I started looking for huge earth shattering things to be grateful for, but that's not the point. It's actually about the opposite, which is finding the small things you can be grateful for. So that's a lot on gratitudes, but it's a big part of my soul. And now it's part of my identity. This is why morning routines are crucial for gratitudes because something bad happens. I don't care who you ask in my 
circle in, in anybody in my company, because that's where I spend 99% of my time, you ask them, how does Bill react to catastrophe? How does Bill react to negativity? How does Bill react? Like the one thing I have developed through this process of doing this for five or six years now is, oh, problem? Where's the opportunity? Oh, problem? What did I learn? Oh, problem? Why am I grateful? It's the best habit ever. The goals are actually less important to me than the gratitudes now, even though there's only five of them. So then the goals, what I do now is I break it down into my top three health, I'm sorry, my top three wealth or career goals, um, health, um, uh, relationships, and spirit. And then I write them down. So then after that, the key when you're writing down your goals is not, now this is an advanced problem you run into when you've done this for five or six years. It's not to just write them. I can't say it enough. It's not to just go through the routine of, well, another day, got to move my hand. It's not about that. What it's about is actually feeling them. And what that means is when you write a goal, some mornings, if I have the time, I'll actually write on the, on the page next to it, man, what are three things that need to be done for this goal to come true? That is so powerful because when you write a goal down every day for five years, it becomes numb. Uh, so then after you write down the goals and you emotionalize them, then what I do is I stand up and I pace in my kitchen and I read my major definite purpose statement every morning, no matter what, that I never skip that even on Sundays or anything. Um, uh, you know, uh, by the 31st day of December, 2026, I will have my possession $256 million in annual revenues, which will come to me in various amounts from time to time during the interim in exchange for this money. I'll give the most efficient service, which I'm capable of rendering the fullest possible quantity, the best possible quality of digital marketing services for small to medium sized businesses. I believe I will have this money in my possession. Uh, my belief is so strong. I can now see this money before my eyes. I can touch it with my hands. It is now waiting transferred to me at the time and in the proportion that that I deliver the service I intend to render for it. I'm awaiting a plan by which to accumulate this money and I will follow that plan when it is received. And then I go through the self-confidence formula. Um, you know, when you do these things for years, it's like, it's just in, it's just in my blood. Um, and the interesting thing is, uh, although the book's called Think and Grow Rich that I pulled that from, it's not even about the rich part. It's about, um, it's about the, the, the confidence in your dreams part. Um, so the most important thing is to not read your major definite purpose statement. Like I just did, I <laughs> <laughs> right? don't do that. It's, it's, it's meant to be like, a, like you're an orator speaking your life's story and pausing at the right moments and going, you know, um, I believe I have the ability to achieve the object of my definite purpose in life. Therefore, I demand of myself persistent, continuous action towards its attainment. And I here and now promise to take such action. And sometimes if I don't feel it, I'll just repeat that sentence. Because it's not worth it if you don't feel it. And then I'll go through my affirmations. Um, I actually just recently stopped going through all 50 every day because I realized it was draining my motivation. Um, 
because it was so long that I was losing focus on like what the core goal is. So what I'm going to experiment with over the next couple of months probably is less is more and then doing an actual goal and affirmation reflection session on weekends. So I can actually retain it versus just go through the motions of blah, 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 every morning. Another thing is like when you, when you go through this long of a process, sometimes you can get to the gym a little later. And I've noticed that when you get to the gym a little later, it gives you reasons to get out of the gym a little earlier because you don't want to show, you don't want to end so late that you're like showing up to the office at like, you know, 10 AM or something. Um, so, so I, I know it's going super in depth, but this is just like, this is just like, I do it every day. Then I meditate. Um, I try to read at least two or three mornings. Uh, you know, weekends are mostly when I do the majority of the reading. And then, uh, the meditation, my number one focus is again, dude, if there's one takeaway, man, with, with routines, man, it's feel it. Like I meditated for like two years with no improvement because dude, I didn't like care. I, I just cared about checking it off my morning routine. I didn't care about becoming mindful. I didn't care about seeing my thoughts pass as clouds or feeling emotions, but being detached from them. I didn't care about that. I just cared about, well, meditating's healthy. I'm going to meditate. Right. And that was an external motivator. That wasn't an internal skill building motivator. So what I'm doing now is I'm really meditating. Like I'm actually picturing myself as like separate from my body. And so like when I see my thoughts and if it's a negative thought or a positive thought, whatever, I, I, I just like zoom out a little bit, like just a little simple visualization. Oh, interesting. There's a thought. Oh, interesting. Ah, here's my breath. Cool. Oh, looks like I'm feeling a little bit of hunger down in my stomach. That's, that's fine. No biggie. Um, and it just detaches you from your sensations. Um, so that's meditation. Then after meditation, uh, oh God. Okay. Then I do my full <laughs> stretch routine, which is like 15 stretches. I do plyostatic exercise. So I use the exercise ball on my back every morning, no matter what. Um, I get into the deep crevices of my upper back, my lower back, um, my hips, and I go up against the wall and I roll like that. Um, usually the dog, like, does weird stuff to my feet when I'm doing that. Cause she thinks I'm playing with her. Um, and then I get on the ground, I do the foam roller, right? So I roll my whole back out and then I have like a 12 to 15 stretch routine where I do deep muscle stretching. Um, the reason I do it before my workouts is because it's more important to me. And I realized I would push off the stretching if my workouts were intense. Uh, so I, I realized in, you know, to make it mandatory, I had to move it ahead of the workout. Um, because once I'm working out and once you have like a workout, like plan, it's hard to like give up in the middle of a workout plan. It's a lot easier to say, I don't need to stretch. Um, so what I've found is the things that are the easiest to sl- slip on, you put need to put them all the way to the beginning of the morning. 
Like if I ever start slipping on working out, I know exactly how I'll solve it. I'm going to, I'm going to make it so that at 5am I'm in the gym. Right. And then if my goal, my goal setting habit, that's why I said that the, the chunks are so much more powerful in morning routine because the chunks mean you can drag and drop things as life changes. Right. If, if my goal setting habits real, real strong, then I can push that after the, till after the workout. Right. And I can pull the workout earlier. Um, so then after that, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, I, I try and do cardio. I, I do my head. I do heavy weightlifting three days a week. I do high intensity cardio the other three days. Um, some mornings I do outdoor mountain biking, uh, on, a, on pretty intense trails. Um, the, the important thing I've noticed is six days a week. You have to actually push. Um, that's why I always say like, push yourself, like sweats, my best friend. I always say, right. Um, because I, I that is actually a form of meditation in, in addition to the other meditation I do, because it, it shows detachment from pain and from struggle self-inflicted. So like when I say sweats, my best friend, it's like most people feel like they are controlled by their body freaking out after a workout. But if you, if you have these funny sayings, like sweats, my friend pains, my friend. Right. And when they show up again, when you push yourself, you're like, Oh, there's my friend. How's it going? You're in control. They're not right. Um, so then after that, yeah, getting ready. My goal is to always dress my, I write this down. It's an affirmation. I present myself as a hungry millionaire every day. Um, I don't even know why those words have a buzz for me. It just kind of like make sure I'm not dressing like a slob every day and presenting myself well. Um, and then I get out the door and I usually don't think of any of the stuff that I did from that point on, like from 9am, 8.30am on, I don't even think about mindfulness goals it's like, it's literally just a chunk of my operating system that then runs the computer, quote unquote, throughout the day. And I just let it fuel what the day is. Um, trying to think, I think that's it. Yeah, that that's the whole morning routine. I've never broke it down that. <laughs> no, I love it. It's awesome. It's so cool to hear because I feel like often it's not broken down and it's it's summarized and you hear different things and and there's certain things where I've talked about um, gratitude in the morning and and you know I do the same thing. Mine's a little bit different. Um, yours is much more extensive, but we do have a lot of similar things. I do my gratitude. I do my goals. I do affirmations. And I talk about this in a, in a previous episode. Um, but I also like to stretch too. So there was a lot of, uh, commonalities and wow. I like to run as well. I, and, and it goes to what you said with, um, you know, that pain when you're pushing yourself, that's why I like the running more than the lifting. And also I lift in my apartment, which can be a little bit difficult sometimes because I'll cheat more. But when I run, it's like the opposite like when I run and I'm outside, I'm so much more likely to be like, yeah, I feel great. I'm going to go a little bit further. I'll go a little bit further. And next thing you know, I get back and I'm like, that was too much. You shouldn't have ran that, ran that far, but yeah. you know, it's good because you're, you know, you're pushing yourself. 
Now, I also wanted to comment on something that you mentioned because it's something that I pay attention to as well, and that's with having intention. I love that you made it a very specific point in everything that you're doing that you have intention and you're not just going through the motion. Because I started to get to that point as well, where when I was writing my gratitude and I was like, stop, you need to not just do this to do this. And making sure that every time that I'm writing out what I'm grateful for, that I am intentional about it. And that I am feeling it and actually really like, I am grateful for it. I'm not just like, oh, I'm grateful for my family. No, like think about it, feel it, like feel what it would mean if you lost them or they weren't there and how powerful that would be versus just writing, I am grateful for my family. You know, you're going to feel grateful if you think about what if you didn't have, you know, your parent and maybe you're someone that does. And that's, and that's, you know, I'm sorry that you had that loss. I mean, we've all had losses in our life and, and I think that only makes us appreciate it even more. So if we can appreciate when we have loss and we often, we only appreciate it because we have loss, but if we can appreciate it when we're not having loss, we're going to be much more grateful you know, throughout the day. And I think that that is just like such a powerful thing to making sure that everything we do, we have intention. Yeah. But as Brendan Burchard says, um, you need also scheduled unscheduled time. Big insight I had at high performance Academy is when you live an intentional life, you also have to be intentional about the times you're not going to be intentional. That's yeah. still a form of intention. <laughs> yes, being intentioned to not, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's a tongue twister right there. I love that you yeah. talk about Brendan Richard too. And I actually saw, found something that was very interesting. I was listening to um, Essentialism. I don't know if you've ever read that book before. Um, and I, I love it so far. I'm not done it yet. But they he mentions in the book and he quotes, and I forget who he, I think it's Stephen Covey. Um, and he quotes Stephen Covey and he says, got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Brendan Burchard says that all the time. He talks about that at his events. And, and it, it really got me thinking because as, you know, this guy who's like this top dog right now, you know, Brendan Burchard, big time. And one of his things that I literally have written, written on my cork board right in front of me it says, keep the main thing, the main thing. And I thought that was him. And meanwhile, it's not. But I think that it's interesting for that I wanted to bring up because you are an influencer. I am an influencer. We are putting out content consistently to try and get people to be more grateful, be more productive, be more high performing. And for anybody else out there that may think about creating content, but don't, because they're afraid of maybe sharing something that other people have. I just wanted to comment. I'd love you to comment on it as well on the fact that this top dog, Brendan Bouchard has a, you know, this, you know, saying that I've heard him say a number of times that was from somebody else. And I think the most important thing is not about who said it first, but what that message could do. So I'd love to hear your kind of feedback because you obviously are absorbing so much constantly and then you're also putting out so much yeah i I don't really know anything right i mean like that that's the insight what what do i know 
I mean, I, I, I was a musician for, you know, five years. All I did was singing lessons every day after when I was in college, every freaking day, I didn't read anything on business. I mean, this is every day in college. Um, I'm, I'm a late bloomer. I, it's not like I had family members that taught me about business and I didn't. And then before that I was racing dirt bikes and, you know, uh, I still kind of do like I do like a month and a half out of every year. I might, I may come out of retirement as I say. Um, but what do I know, man? What do I know? I just, I just have motivation, a little bit of courage probably from, you know, doing too much of crazy stuff when I was racing dirt bikes and being on stage in front of thousands of people with my band. And I I don't really know much. So it's like, you know, I'm sure there are people who have been around business long enough to have their own um, you know, ways of thinking about the world, but I don't know. I, I've, I've learned that all the best ideas I've ever formed are from what I call synergistic learning, not ground up learning. So like synergistic learning is where you take principles from major disciplines and you, and you go, Oh, I like that. Don't like that. Oh, I like that. Don't like that. You kind of pick and choose but not judgmentally. Right. So for example, even companies I hate can teach me a lot. Right. Um, and, and taking all of that and, and going, Oh, here's a belief. And regardless of whether that comes from a different person or whatever, like the, the main thing, keeping the main thing, the main thing like that saying, I don't even know where I heard that the first time. I think 80% of my decisions aren't really mine. They're, they're from, they're from a, a constant desire to know what did someone who's been through this learn? What did someone who, uh, you know, maybe wasn't through this learn? What, what do they think? What, what don't they know? And, and formulating your own beliefs, uh, allow you to kind of, speed up the learning process. So for people who are, um, not creating content, um, perhaps out of fear of the fact they don't have their own voice. <laughs> uh, you know, all I really have to say is, is, is laugh. All, my only reaction is to laugh is because, you know, nobody really does. Even, even people who were brought up around business are going to be quoting their dad or their uncle or, the, you know, the, the neighbor who was the business guy that taught him everything at dinner and whatever, like, you know, it, one thing that's very fascinating is they did studies. Well, not studies. They did one crazy study in the past. And I think they got in a lot of trouble for it. Um, where they isolated someone from social connection. I forget who it was. I think it was illegal actually. And some guy like kept this girl in a basement or something. I forget. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and literally from when she was born and she, and you know, to think that we we can learn business and, and marketing through osmosis locked in a basement, our whole lives, not talking to human beings is stupid. Everything we learn is, is through social 
interaction, learning who we surround ourselves with, especially who we surround ourselves with virtually, right? Um, because that that's the most scalable method for education nowadays um, with everyone having their own priorities. Um, it's important to have on tap smart people. And you can do that through courses. You can do that through events. You can do that through online training. You can do that through anything. Like I, I looked over my, my uh, expenses in uh, education last year. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Like uh, maybe I don't know, hundred thousand dollars spent like on events and all this crazy stuff. And and the interesting thing is, the first half of the year, I didn't know that you could find other business owners at these events. So I went selfishly to learn the content. The second half of the year, I went, oh wow! If I go to a Cardone conference, if I go to a Brendan Burchard conference and, and get VIP tickets and sit up in the front where people who actually have money are, maybe I could also get some clients. And I just got back from a Cardone bootcamp and we signed up, I think seven clients for uh, maybe 30,000 in monthly billings just from one event just because I put myself out there. Now that was hard. That was not like a layup. I had to stay up late every night. I had to go to the bar. I had to network. I had to meet people. I didn't know. I mean, it was, it was definitely not easy, but um, what I learned is there's not only a knowledge ROI at events, but there's a business ROI. If you think collaboratively, for example, one person I met at the Cardone event, his name is Matt Buchanan. I think he's in his 20 late or young 20 or uh, early 20s. Super motivated sales guy. When I first met him, uh, not sales guy, he's a digital marketing company owner, but he's so good at sales. And when I met him, he introduced himself, said, Oh man, I do, I generate leads for businesses using Facebook. Immediately I went, Yeah, competitor. Oh, nice meeting you, man. You know, and, and then the light switch went off. And I was like, You know what? This is someone I, I shouldn't be, get ego crazy about. Maybe I can collaborate with him. Tell me more, Matt. What do you do? Oh, let me tell you what, what I've been through, what I do. Oh, it turns out we both can fill a hole in each other's business. He offers Facebook ads. I told you about the partnership with Facebook ads, right? Um, he offers really good Facebook ad lead generation for service-based businesses, Dennis you know, lawyers, doctors, that's who we serve, small businesses like that. He doesn't have anyone to do SEO or PPC for his clients, Google ads. Oh, perfect synergy. So we worked through nurturing the relationship out an agreement where we're going to, we can refer each other clients and form a partnership. In addition, I'm a little older than him and have, have been in business a little bit longer and Therefore, I have knowledge and skills that he wants to learn from me. So I did an Instagram post the other day saying, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about opening the hood on how I went from zero to 1.5 million in, uh, I forget, 18 months or something. Who's interested in, if I, if I do that, who's interested? And a couple of people replied, and one of them was Matt Buchanan, right? The person I would have originally thought was, Ah, competitor. Let me go network with. Let me go network with 
service-based companies. Let me go network with the, the dentists at this event. Let me go network with the contractors. Let me go. I don't need to talk to other marketing guys. Uh, the big opportunity, the biggest opportunity from that event was not any of those seven clients I signed up. It was Matt Buchanan. So it was right in front of me. And that's the beauty of events is like people sh and, 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 and putting yourself in an environment where you're around people who are committed to personal development. Because typically the more invested you are in personal development, the more you uh, are likely to be in a state of growth because you're looking for answers. And when I, when I originally, like what I started off by saying was how I go through identity crises every couple of weeks, because it's like, what do I do next? That's where personal development comes in. It gives you a compass. And that's where, that's where personal development attracts as well. So what I did was last week, I created a list of like maybe 20 events next year, all people I look up to. And, I, and, I, and I'm saying now, well, how can I go from doing five events this year to 25 events next year? And it's a new problem. It's hard. You got to coordinate, you know, tons of stuff to, to make that happen. But is, is the, is the work worth the reward? Now I'm starting to think it is. And that, that all can be labeled as a edu educational cost. Right. Um, so, so if people are hesitating to, to put themselves out there, right. Just know events are, are one way of doing that. There's plenty of other ways to do it, but it's, all about stealing knowledge like everything the reason you go to an event is to steal knowledge the reason you go on an instagram live or a facebook live or a um uh you know story is really most times there's two things i found that works for me accountability reflection accountability is hey another morning Here's sweat. Hey, another morning. Here's, here's me doing my goals. Hey, another morning. Here's that. That's completely selfish. Whether, whether that motivates anyone or not, I don't care. Hopefully it does. It, I, that's not my intention. My intention is how can I be, a, how can I be my own role model and put myself in accountability mode for this so that I feel like I have to do it every morning. And then the other, so accountability. And then the second for content creators is, oh my gosh reflection. Whew, there is no better incentive to learn a new skill than to teach someone else that new skill. So what we've started doing is what, since I put out about one video or, or 14 videos every two weeks or 12 to 14 every two weeks, I actually decided that two or three of them every two weeks are going to be new skills that I have to learn before I do the video. So LinkedIn ads is something that I personally need to get chops with. We have someone on our team who is killing it right now. We just got literally, I think, 31 leads in the last four days from our first LinkedIn campaign. It's unbelievably working amazing. I need to know how that works. And then once I learn how it works, I need to summarize how it works 
So I retain it. And oh, I can just record my screen and I can help thousands of people while I reflect on learning a skill that's going to benefit my company. It can be used as training content for my team. <laughs> I mean, if you're not creating content, like, and, and this is crazy because a year ago I wasn't. And this, this is the crazy thing. Like, this is brand new. Four months ago, I, I had no YouTube videos, zero. Um, if you're not creating content, there is so many external factors that you are missing out on. Gravely. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I do want to touch on, um, well, I, I do want to say this first before I go to what I was going to say. Um, I love watching and seeing what you're doing. And I want to say that you inspire me, my friend. And it is grateful to see what you're doing because, you know, seeing that commitment, seeing that level and the way that James talks about you too, um, you know, he speaks so highly of what you do. Obviously, you and him have a much closer relationship um, than, you know, you and I. And, and I think that that is so awesome, you know, to see the work ethic that you've put in, to see what you've been able to do is inspiring. And I know that if I'm getting an impact from it, then I know that there's other people out there that are getting an impact from it. But I love, I love that you mentioned it as in a way for you to be held accountable for it as well. But I think there's, there's a, a, another part of it too, of the repetition where it's like, yeah, you're showing your goals every day. And I've done a similar thing where I'm like showing that I'm doing my, my goals, my affirmations and my gratitude every day. And I've had people comment on the same thing. They're like, yeah, well, I'm not doing that yet. But they know to talk about it. Like they mentioned it to me because they're seeing it. And that repetition is so important. And I think when it comes to creating content, that often we think that it needs to be so much, like it needs to be new, 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 new. When really, when you think about what learning is, I forget who, who said this quote, and I have it somewhere on my board. But basically, it's, a, a student is not someone that learns something once. It's someone that does it and repeats it and consistently. So, you know, you want to know a, a book, read it three times, and then yep. you'll be a true, you know, student to what is going on. And I, I, I have one point on that. Uh, just really quick point is uh, the amount of stuff you already know is mind boggling. I had four four months of content three and a half and like literally a video a day almost that's a lot that's like a hundred that's it's like a just under a hundred videos for like three months let's say and i was still like whoa i i, I also know how to do this i also know how to do this i can do a video on this then eventually you're gonna run out of things well that's not that's not true because then you could go into personal development, you can go into life. It, you really never run out. But if you want to keep your YouTube channel targeted and your video and your content targeted, you're going to hit a, you're going to hit a point where it's like, what do I make a video on now? And then you have to go look at frequently asked questions on other blogs and other influencers and go, what are people asking about? Let me make a video on that. But the amount that you already know, and I don't care if you're freaking working at Walmart, I don't care if you're working at NASA, it doesn't matter. You have learned things, how to deal with, for example, you come from a low income family, you work at Walmart, you make minimum wage. 
you could put out content on how to deal with conflict and come out on top and live and live your life. And what, what's going to happen with that, it's what happened with me with Worry 180, is you're going to live into that because you're going to exercise your imagination muscle. You're going to reflect on what you've learned. And insanity is really hard to stomach when, when it's on paper. But when it's up here, it's, it's easy. You can keep insanity all day, months and months and months and months. But as soon as it goes public, insanity is so easy to catch. And you're going to see the flaws in your thinking and you're going to see all the beautiful skills that you have. And that's going to hold you accountable to improve, which is what Worry 180 did for me. I thought I overcame anxiety before I wrote that book. But in reflecting on how to write that book, I had to, I had to diagnose everything I was doing to, to help my anxiety and to ultimately build the habits that made me overcome it. I had to reflect on, wow, man, I, I am doing things here. It isn't just all mush. And when I wrote that book, again, it ended up being a, a selfish reflection on the biggest personal development transition in my life. And I sincerely think when this book is, is, is when we put some force behind it in the next year or so, it's going to help a lot of people. Um, and that's literally just from me reflecting on things I already knew, seeing the, some of the insanity in it, and then making edits, and then becoming what I wrote about before I was it. That, that's the beauty of, of forcing yourself to put out content. I think it's so cool, um, you know, that you, you mentioned that um, how you were able to, um, or no matter where you are in your life, you can create content. And I think um, when it comes to our industry, we often think we get so sucked into our business that we think that everyone knows that what we know. And it's so easy to do that because you're just like so in it every single day. And you're like, wait a minute, you don't know that you should constantly be trying to generate emails because you know, that's like how you really get leads. Like when you actually own your audience, you don't know that that's a thing. And it's like, yeah, well, of course you have, but not everyone else knows that there's so many people out there that don't know that that should be one of your, you know, uh, such a big focus in how you're generating leads. And we undervalue what we know so often when we are so sucked into it. So absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, it's so, we know so much more and, and just sharing it. I mean, and it's just things that you're learning. Like to me, the best way to be able to create content is just constantly learning. You know, for me, it's easy. Cause like, if I'm listening to a podcast or reading every single week, that's giving me like tons of content on a regular consistent basis where I'm taking what they're saying and sharing it. And that's one of my favorite things. I had somebody, um, I, I play, uh, play football with them. And I had, uh, I had found out, you know, she never liked any of my videos. She never commented on anything, but I found out through, um, her brother-in-law that, that she was watching all of my content. And when I saw her in person, she came up to me and she said, I love your videos. I watched them all. And then I shared it 
you know, sometimes I share the message with my students. And I was like, oh my gosh, it took me back so much. Like I gave her a huge hug because that's the most powerful thing that you can do is that it's not about what you, where the information came from. It's about sharing that information because that information could help someone else who then helps somebody else. And that's what it's all about is trying to share and put out that knowledge. Huge insight here. This takes, this will take a lot of stress off of people who are, who are thinking of doubling down on content. All you need is one core advocate. That's it. Like it doesn't need to be like the, the thing that prevented me from getting started for so long was this faulty belief that, well, if I can just become more successful, then my brand will pick up more because I'll have more clout and I'll have built a more reputable business to back, back me up. Right. I, I should wait. You know, I really should wait. I'm not ready. I'm not successful yet. You know, but what I realized was like, there are things that I can help people with and it's my obligation to do that. I don't care if my business isn't where it should be yet. I, there are, I, an age is, is the biggest freaking restriction for people. I mean, it doesn't matter. I will tell you this, if my mom, who's 50 some years old was running my agency, the agency would go down in flames. <laughs> it, it's not about age. We are in a new generation. I grew up on computers. I grew up on technology. I grew up doing stuff that she never did. It doesn't matter. I can teach her so much about business. It is unfair. And the crazy thing is our average client is in their 40s to 50s. So as soon as that light bulb went off, it was like, wow, I can tremendously help people. And I'm, and I'm causing this story in my head this whole time. But all you need is one person. I remember who that was for me. Um, I, I, I'd, have, I'd have to go back through my Instagram messages to see exactly what it said. But um, there was this, this guy, it was right when I started doing stories after like, couple weeks didn't really get any traction just stuck through with it and some guy mentioned uh something in my in my comments and or in my direct message and was like hey man um i quit my job and i and i started i started my own business you probably don't remember me um you know i i i was in high school with you and then i got transferred and i just have followed you ever since on facebook it wasn't even on Instagram. It was on the Facebook story. Um, and uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for helping me like figure all this out. And that one thing, I remember I was jumping up and down with joy and I showed Emily, my fiance, and I was like, oh my God. And she at the time had this cult-like following with her blog and she was getting like 10 of these messages a day. Girls all over the city of Philadelphia going, you, you made me like uh, so much uh, more loving as a person or compassionate. And, and I just realized like, 
man, if you can just get one person to say you changed their life, you know you're on the right path because you know it's going to spread. And one of those people one day is going to be your core influencer. And then that's going to lead to your next core influencer. And that's going to lead to your next core influencer. That one teacher who shows your videos to her students, all of those students may become business owners in the future who employ thousands of people, whatever. Some of them may, some of them may not. One of them may, right? Whatever. The exponential effect of social media is what everyone misses. It, it, they, they're worried about the immediate number of followers. And that's not how, and, and with our YouTube channel, it took us, geez, it took us four months before we got, uh, three and a half months before we got our first lead. And that first lead actually turned into a signed up client from nothing. I mean, dude, you see the, the, the circle light right there. I mean, behind me, I have a circle light in my, my office. I have my table where I do all my filming. I did that for three and a half months, Nick, three and a half months ranting and raving in front of the thing, being entertaining, laughing at my own jokes, being as entertaining as I could. Just pushing, 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 pushing. And we've only gotten one client from it so far. I don't care, man. We, we get comments now where people are sending us paragraphs on, on our videos. Some of our videos still only have 20 views. Those 20 views though are gold to me because if those 20 views feel helped and like I actually cared, that's all that matters. Dude. People, it just needs to be like, take the stress off of having a following. Dude, just help one person and start selfishly. Like reflect on the things you've learned. And make sure that you're not insane by putting it in the public. Then you'll get some followers. No biggie. That's exactly it. I absolutely love it. I think it's so um, powerful to focus on that one person. I talk about that all the time. It's in my programs of just like focus on the one person that you can help. I mean, it's the number one thing. You know, everyone's so concerned, gets so caught up and I want all these views and I want all these followers. And, you know, there's, there's people out there that have tons of followers, but aren't making any impact on them. They're not influencing them in any positive way. They're just hot or, you know, they're selling a clothing or whatever, you know, something like that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. They are influencing people though. Mm -hmm. That that's the thing. And, and what I noticed about my, my, uh, fiance's following is value is so, uh, weird. It's, mm. it can't value is not like you and I are personal development, entrepreneurial individuals. Our perception of value is change your life, improve your mindset, form the habits of success, grow, <laughs> build a business. Other people, right? They may like that, but they may more get more value in, man, no, I'm a, I'm a smaller girl 
And no, I, I have no one to relate to on what clothes to choose. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm on an island. I don't, I don't know what fashion and beauty is. I'm insecure about it. I, 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 I think every day, like, what should I be wearing? And what fits me? Everything feels like weird. And then I found Emily Burgess. And Emily, it, she's small too. And, and she found all these little beauty hacks and man, I just love keeping up with her. It gives me so much value. It makes me feel understood. Now we could sit here and say, well, she's not changing people's lives, but dude, here's the thing. That's just her attention getter. You read her captions. She really cares. She's open about the fact she was adopted. She's open about how she struggled being an introvert with social anxiety um, she's, she's open. She's used the, the tripwire of what, how people feel related to her to create a message. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just interesting because value is so like the, the biggest Instagrams are musicians and, and people are, who are just famous, being famous, but there's something that there's some value exchange happening for them to have 20 million followers. I haven't put my finger on that yet. Um, you know, I, I put my finger on how Emily got her followers in the fashion in, uh, you know, affordable fashion niche, but I don't know what, what value do you think someone gets from Kardashians, Kim Kardashian's thing? Like, what do you think? It, it's, that's such an interesting question. And I honestly don't think I can answer it because the Kardashians are, the group of people that baffle me that people like that they have a show. I don't know, but I guess I've never given them that much of an opportunity either. And I know the one is like, has a business and sold her business for like $9 billion or something like that. She was super young, but you know, um, so obviously she's doing certain stuff, but it is an interesting thing. And I think, Based on the celebrity, it varies. You know, like for example, like two influencers or two social media channels, like Robert Downey Jr., like his Instagram is like not him. He just has a lot of followers because he's Robert Downey Jr. But The Rock, on the other hand, is has one of the most amazing uh, you know, social media followings, if not number one. Like he honestly is like, in my opinion, one of the top dogs when it comes to social media and it's him like everything that's being posted is all him he's this super like successful guy with billions of dollars and yet he's the one on his social media and that's why he gets paid a six-figure salary And, and that was a study that i did a year ago that is probably more than that now just by posting um movies his own movies on his social media, they have to pay him more to promote on his social media platforms. Mm. Like leverage. He's amazing. Yeah. And the interesting thing is the tripwire, like you can roll your eyes at it. You know, anybody can, they can say, Oh, you know, they're just famous because they're famous or whatever. But dude, I'm, I'm starting to think now, like this is a belief shift for me is man, what's my tripwire? Am I just going to be the the personal development uh, habits and business guy? Because growing up, I mean, there's there's nothing I'll ever be able to do to to 
wipe out my inner jokester. I mean, when I'm, when I'm, I'd say 70% of the time, like I'm, I'm pretty focused on the, on the task at hand, but I have an extremely insatiable need to pull pranks on people. Like I just do, it'll never go away. I, I have an insatiable need to, to throw wrenches in situations when people feel like they have it all figured out. And then I just want to tell a joke that makes them completely confused. Should I hide that part of me just to be the personal development guy for branding reasons? Or should I own that? And should I use that as the tripwire for my message? What is, what is the tripwire, right? I would say a hundred percent that you should own that. Um, and I think that, you know, you said personal branding, but your inner jokester can still be part of your personal branding. You yeah. know, I, I, it's part of who you are and the best way to be able to embrace and succeed online is by being your fullest and true self, no matter what, if you try and be like, yeah. Oh, well, this is what I think I should post first, what you actually believe that you should post. You know, there's certain some, it, this actually happened recently where, um, I almost didn't post something and it, it wasn't business related at all. Um, it was, and it wasn't on my, you know, Facebook business page. And I just put out a comment and I was like, I, I gotta say, I'm a big fan of the baby Yoda memes. And I, I was so close to not posting it. I was so close and I was like, nah, you should delete it. Like, it's not your personal brand, you know, it's, it's against. And once I did, and then all these people started commenting on it and they started posting Yoda memes into the comments. And it was so awesome to see because, well, at the end of the day, I posted it because I like Star Wars and I like superheroes and I'm not afraid to say that. I don't talk about it probably as much similar to, with what you're saying where I don't show that side as much in me. Yeah. And you know, I think that it's important because part of that is what makes us relatable. Yeah. You know? And when you look at the the Grant Cardones and the Gary Vanderchucks, they've lost that almost a little bit because you don't see that as much. Now I still love both of them and they're phenomenal. Um yeah. and I'm sure you get more of it when you go to like an event. Like I know you've been to Cardone's boot camps where you kind of get to know them a little bit more in that longer form yeah. content. But again, like I remember hearing, uh, I follow James Wedmore. Uh, I've talked about him before and he's phenomenal. And he mentioned the other day on a podcast that he watches Rick and Morty. And I, I don't know if you've heard of the show or seen the show. Yeah. I could not believe that he watches the show. Um, I, I do watch, so my friends are huge fans of it. I'm not as a big a fan. I have seen it and I've, wa I've watched, uh, you know, a, a good amount of the episodes, but I just never thought that somebody of his caliber would be watching that type of show. And guess what? Now I love him even more because I feel like I'm relating to him on a whole nother level because he is human and he does watch TV occasionally, even though he's a personal development junkie. You know, he loves to call other people that aren't personal development, he calls them normies, which I think is really funny. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, but you know, it's just the more that you can open up and, and just share everything about yourself and not be afraid to show that, 
the more that people are going to continue to resonate with you. And I love because Gary Vee talks about it, that social media exposes the people that are faking it because the people that are real are showing you so much of them that they can't fake it because they're showing too much of it. Absolutely. And like another thing I've thought is like even private topics, things that like, for example, the, the more private the topic, it's not just about being funny or, or you know, happy slappy. It's also like, why aren't there tons of videos on anxiety in business? Right. Why aren't there tons of videos on, um, you know, uh, insomnia, right? Entrepreneurs who can't shut off. What about, um, what about, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was thinking prenups. Nobody talks about prenups in business because it's like hush, hush. Ooh, don't, don't want anyone to know. Right. These are things that have close ties to problems that entrepreneurs go through. But there's a barrier to entry because the vulnerability it takes to talk about these things and the brand impact it could have prevents there from being good content on these things. So I, I was thinking to myself, like, dude, we're all human. We, we all like, like who, who the hell is kidding? Entrepreneurs have 30% higher chance of being anxious or depressed. That's why they seek such big goals. That's why they, they push themselves so hard is because they're looking for ways to push themselves because they have all this pent up energy. And if that pent up energy gets bored, it goes inside. That's why in college, I was like driving myself insane because I wasn't challenged. There was no spontaneity. There was no unpredictability. And it makes me think like, wow, maybe the secret in addition to showing my quirky side is to actually just show the struggles that people go through, right? And explaining how I worked through them myself and the fact that I am human. And I did go through periods of my life where these things happen every day, right? And that's something I want to work on is, is going raw twice as raw as, as like you think is appropriate, I think. Yeah. I think, um, you know, being vulnerable is one of the most important things, um, you know, because we often, it is not shared and that's where it has the most value. So if you think about it, you know, there's, there's, there's people out there that are seeking for someone to say that that's okay, you know? And then say, like, I understand, I relate, even though, you know, from from the outside perspective, hey, I have this, let's say I have this successful business and, you know, you know, happy family or, you know, whatever. But then deep down, they're like struggling, but not sharing that information where there could be someone that's similar to them that's struggling. They're like, well, this person doesn't understand me, you know, meanwhile, they they might and being able to connect with them on another level is so much more powerful instead of trying to please everyone like, Oh, well, what if I say this? And you know, they don't suffer anxiety. Um, and then they, they, they just don't get it. Well, it's like, well, yeah. they do. And it changes their yeah. life. 40% of people do. Yeah. And especially entrepreneurs. So it's like all these things that aren't being talked about, man, is, is 
the next step, I think, in content marketing. I think it's the only way to create virality in these inundated platforms. Um, so, yeah, I can go. I can go down down the rabbit yes, hole. Yes, I know. And we've been strategy. we've been talking for quite a while. So I yeah. do want to wrap it up. Be mindful of your time, and I appreciate you taking this much time. And I knew we could um, keep this going. And this was so phenomenal. Um, so before we conclude. Um, just tell everyone, you know, where they can, they can find you, where they can follow you. Yep. Instagram, Bill Hauser business, H A U S E R S M B team.com small, medium business team.com. If you're looking for digital marketing, Google ads, SEO website design, go there, submit your information, get a consultation. Um, and if you are interested in, um, you know, uh, anything video related, I would, I would, uh, I would reach out to Nick. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you everyone for listening and remember, let's keep growing together. Wait, wait, one more thing. I would first like to say thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this message, please take a moment to write a review. By writing a review, it helps people find this message and helps me help more people. And if you really, really liked it and you think this message could help someone else, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and please tag me at Nick J. Bonnie, N-I-C-K-J-B-O-N-I, so I can show my appreciation for you. We can all win by helping each other grow. Thank you. Take care and I'll talk to you soon.